Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of VMware's Partnership Perspectives. I'm Kathleen Tandy, Vice President of Global Partner and Alliances Marketing at VMware, and I'm pleased to bring you the stories and trends from VMware industry analysts, partners, and executives. Today, I'm joined by Kishore Modak, General Manager of Asia-Pacific Marketing for Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. In his role at HPE, Kishore is responsible for driving growth and profitability for both HPE and its partners by developing and executing end-to-end marketing strategies. During our conversation, we discuss the benefits of a partner-led integrated marketing strategy, how Kishore's team differentiates HPE's Greenlight Cloud Platform vis-a-vis its competitors, and much more. Enjoy the full conversation now. Kishore, welcome to Partnership Perspectives. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kathleen. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you today. Well, thanks. HPE has been such a long-time VMware partner, although it was HP. Now it's HPE. As you've gone through your own transformations, and we're going to talk, I know, a lot about transformation today. But we've worked over really closely over the years to deliver technology innovation, jointly differentiated solutions to our customers' unique offerings. And that partnership truly is global, including the Asia, Pacific, and Japan part of the world that, that you focus on. Let's start there with your role at HPE. So I understand you are the general manager of APJ Marketing for HPE. Can you start by just giving us an overview of your organization, your role, the markets you serve, and how you partner with VMware? Yeah, perfect. So, Kathleen, the markets that we serve here in APJ consists mostly of India, Southeast Asia, Japan. We also include Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and then finally down under all of what we call South Pack, consisting of Australia and New Zealand. So, all of that is within the purview of APJ marketing. And the way we have set ourselves up is evaluation is driven by three distinct entities. We, of course, have the Edge business, which is Aruba. Then we have HPEFS, which is the HPE financial services business. And those two operate pretty much independently as independent businesses. And then we have the core HPE brand and the core HPE product. And those three combined is what drives the valuation of our company. So my role here as CMO and general manager cuts across the entire portfolio. However, we must keep in mind that we have a separate operating model for HPEFS and Aruba, where we have a marketing team which is independent and pretty much drives their own agenda, of course, working very closely with me. Now, this kind of a setup is also mirrored globally. So you will find that our CMO globally also works in a very similar fashion and sets himself up and the company for success in a similar way. So that's, in a nutshell, a little bit more about my role and the purview of the role. That's great. And I would assume that the primary opportunity for partnership with VMware is relative to the core HPE business. I'm glad you brought up Aruba and Edge because Edge is, there's just so much opportunity. There are some people that saying Edge Cloud is going to overtake public cloud not next year, but in the future. So that's a fascinating part as well. But I would assume most of the VMware partnership is around core? Yes, I think if we were to look at the current engagements, yes. But I think you hinted at this. 
that if I was to look at the future, I think with VMware, there's some really exciting partnerships which we can think of around edge, core, as well as cloud. And I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later in the podcast, but both the organizations have much bigger vision than just the core space that we probably are mostly involved with today. I think that core space, yes, it's essential, it's critical to both of us, and our partnership has been extremely strong. It's not just a marketing partnership where it's been a pleasure to work with the VMware team. We have collaborated. In fact, I remember that about four or five years ago when I took on the role, one of the first external meetings I had was with VMware, talking about co-marketing, talking about VMworld, talking about the setup as well as messaging that we have. And I think our industry is complex. VMware as well as HPE, we sort of wedge ourselves into different parts of what a customer might need. And with VMware, we need to be very mature about our partnership and our relationship, obviously, given the linkage with Dell and so on. But I think it's very interesting for our customers to look at partnerships and take away what best suits their requirements. Eventually, I think if all of us put customers first, partnerships flourish. If we look at the requirements that our customers have and what are the best ways for HPE and VMware to come together to address them, all of us win. And I have to say that the VMware team here in APAC, APJ has been very, very customer first in its orientation. And as a result of that, we've been able to cut through a lot of confusion when it comes to corporate as well as shareholding and other setup that we have. Put the customer first, put partnership first, and then work towards an outcome which makes our customers drive transformation. And that's been very, very refreshing for us. So never been stronger. And VMware continues to be one of our key partners here in APJ. Well, that's great to hear. And VMware has recently spun off from Dell. For the first time in eight years, we are a completely independent company. We are really excited about how that's going to equip us to dive in and have even deeper relationships with a host of partners across the IT landscape, including HPE, where there might have been a little bit of resistance in the past. We're hoping that that independence is going to be a little bit freeing. So as you said, we can both look at How together can we focus on putting the customer first, focus on how we can together find unique ways to help customers that are focusing on their digital transformation, focusing on how their migration to from edge to public and private, but really put customers first. I did want to ask with that mindset, we were talking about, you know, the relationship from a partner perspective we have, but as you lead marketing for all of HPE, APJ across those different areas, How do overall partners factor into your marketing strategies? The meat of our investment in terms of marketing is led by partners. So we really look at our partners as our last mile and our execution engine for marketing. And this is not just a bullet point on a slide. Our legal setup in terms of the way we disperse our MDF funds mandates that our partners lead with execution, which means that we force our team members to have the conversation around what are the business priorities of the customer, partner, and HPE. We do not go and independently drive our marketing efforts unless they don't sit well with the priorities as well as the business plans that our partners have, because a partner is not going to execute on a strategy that A, does not benefit them, and B, they don't believe in it. 
So I think this partnership first approach in our setup itself forces us to have conversations with partners in terms of execution plans, in terms of priorities, before we let them lead and do the actual execution through our partner investment program, right? So very big part of our strategy is to let the partners lead and then get the outcomes for HPE. Now, we obviously complement that because we have a direct side of the investment as well. And if I see the more recent years, that direct side of the investment largely goes towards brand as well as demand generation, but digital. So we have a massive digital engine, which is at work, ensuring that our HPE brand, our HPE solutions, our latest offerings, our latest ideology is out there in front of customers. Our HPE.com sites are equipped to receive the right traffic. When they land there, they have the right experience. And then off that, the partners feed and then go and execute in terms of last mile activity. So that in a nutshell is how we are set up and partnership is right in the middle of that. That's great to hear. That's a really nice compliment and kind of division of labor, roles and responsibilities. I know our partners are always asking, how are we leaning in and driving that top level awareness, that brand awareness that kind of umbrella drive and pull for them. But partners and your partners too, and we have a lot of the same partners in common, are out there on the front lines with customers every day, and they have much more reach than we do. And it probably also speaks back, I will admit, I used to work when it was HP. I worked for HP for 12 years. I was a Vectra product manager for those who worked at HP. Even then, the commitment to channel, the commitment to partner was very, very strong and was really in Hewlett-Packard's DNA. And I know that's carried over into HPE. Absolutely. In fact, one of our guiding principles is partnership first. Unlike other organizations, we always have a partnership first approach to our business. So partners are in our DNA, in our blood, everything that we do is based on a partnership first principle and some of our top partners consult and work with us when it comes to strategy and how we roll it out. So you're absolutely right. Having come from an HP background, you can probably relate to that partnership first culture. Absolutely. We might have to talk offline and I get some pointers from you uh, for us as we're trying to shift into more of a, we're absolutely committed into more of a, a partner led, partner first type of strategy. But I think we have some things to learn from you. Our partners are going through a lot of transformation. We're going through transformation. You're going through transformation. Everybody's going through transformation. And that is really, well, besides the events of the last 20 months, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but it's also just rooted in a shift to the way Antonio Neri described it. Everything is a service vision. Back in 2019, as someone who has just really strategic forefront I can't remember, I think it was HPE World, but Antonio made a pledge to sell everything as a service in HPE by 2022. That's next year. We're getting there. Can you talk to us about, from your perspective, the business and technology trends that are driving, that you guys are seeing, that's driving HP's, HPE's shift in strategy, how the GreenLake platform, which is you know, the hallmark of being able to deliver everything as a service is helping to fulfill that promise and how it's being received by your customers and your partners? Big question, so I'll probably try and split it up. Firstly, in terms of what we are hearing as the key challenges, and then that sets up what probably we are offering and what is our place in the industry. The key challenges are two or three things. Firstly, data is center stage. Organizations believe that if they are unable to harness the power of the data that they already have, 
convert that data into insights. Be able to take quick decisions based on those insights. Embed those decisions through AI and ML into their existing and new age applications that they are building. If they're not able to harness that data, they will not be competitive. In any industry today, that's the one big sort of concern, challenge slash opportunity that customers are talking to us about. How do I take this wealth of data that I have, somehow be able to harness it and then convert that into a competitive advantage? Because through that data in any industry, banking, telco, you name it, medicine, it's health, anywhere, education today, that data can actually differentiate the offerings that a customer has. And if we have time, I can relate a few examples of how it's happening. And if an organization is unable to harness that data, convert it into insights and actually deliver value to customers, they're not going to be successful. They will fall by the way and very quickly because you will have a more agile, better setup organization and customers will very easily discern that they're getting a better quality of service, differentiated offerings because of the way data is being harnessed by an organization. That's one. Second thing related to data, and if we start to solve for that key challenge, most of this data is being created at the edge. Today, the tentacles of IT are well beyond the data center. It would be not uncommon for an organization to actually create more than 50, 60, 70% of the total data at the edge. I mean, just imagine a fleet of self-driving vehicles or autonomous vehicles. The entire action is at the edge. That's a pretty amazing statistic, about 75% of the data happening at the edge. And a lot of people are predicting edge cloud is going to grow even to be bigger. And clearly, I think that's one of the key drivers. Exactly. So you have these devices, call them cell phones, IoT devices, specialized devices, edge compute devices. That's where the action is happening. And depending on which organization, what type of application you're servicing, you're going to be forced to take a decision right at the edge, which means now your decision making. Imagine a self-driving car which experiences a boulder which it has never experienced before on the same route. It has to take a decision, right? It does not have the luxury of sending all this information back to a data center where somebody, somebody or something is going to analyze it, push it back. It's going to be a mess. You're going to have a massive traffic jam. You're going to have a problem. Clouds are fast, but not that fast. Exactly. So there is this notion that, yes, I'm going to generate a lot of data at the edge, but how do I make it useful? How do I drive decisions based on this data which is being created at the edge? And that's where I think the first part of the sort of landscape in terms of solutions starts to emerge, that it doesn't matter where you create data, it has to be available for decision making. And the conventional thinking is that I need to push all my data into the cloud before applications can harness it and make decisions. This is a very cumbersome and old style process. We have companies I won't name those brands, but we have massive data lake and data storage companies which have built businesses the last 10, 15 years. But honestly, they are now sitting on silos of isolated data lakes, which are becoming redundant and obsolete. The requirements today of organizations are data should be available. Data should be able to flow from the edge to probably a private data center or a managed data center all the way till the public cloud. The cloud cannot be a barrier to the flow of data. So the way I think about it, the cloud infrastructure and the cloud implementation is like a very high speed highway. And depending on where you need what type of data, you set up your applications in order to harness that data and create decision support, 
create AI, create ML, whatever those applications require to deliver value. That's where Antonio's vision of as a service starts coming to life. That's where we are kind of very uniquely positioned in the market because if you look at the IT industry, on one side you have what I'll call them traditional players. All of us are going through transformation, but I don't know what better word to use. So traditional players like Dell, probably HPE, Cisco, Lenovo, who have a legacy of decades. Forget acquisitions, etc., but they have a legacy of decades if you take their DNA. But then you have new style players coming in, which are typically hyperscalers, relatively new businesses, AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, right? They sort of represent the two extremes of choice that customers are forced to consider. So you have a CIO or a LOB leader or a CEO sitting there thinking, I need to commit all the way to a public cloud or a hyperscaler. Oh, you know what? I need to take the decision to keep everything in-house in an environment which is completely controlled by me. Two choice points which are wrong by design. Because eventually the way your organization is going to work is in a very, very hybrid style environment. You're going to have edge compute. You will require certain applications and data which you need to have on your on-prem. And certain applications will work best if they are in the public cloud, which is where HP has created this very unique position for ourselves in the market, where we, through hybrid IT consulting and through hybrid IT services, and then more importantly, as a service, don't force our customers to take a choice or to consider a choice which is very polarizing. Because we recognize the fact that the world is going to be complex and you require different implementations of the cloud for different outcomes in your data center, for your applications, and we, through our as-a-service vision and GreenLake, have the ability to give you that best of almost all the worlds. We have the ability to move data in and out of different cloud implementations, consult with you, take a look at your application stack, take a look at the future that you have in terms of roadmap, and then implement a hybrid IT strategy, which is scalable, and the most important thing, customers will start to enjoy a better quality of service. You'll differentiate and gain share. So that in a nutshell is one big piece of what's happening, which is data. And that data modernization translates to a hybrid cloud vision and as a service organization that we have created, which I think is what customers will really benefit from in FY22 and the years ahead of us. Well, it's clear that there's a lot of kind of alignment with vision in the market, because as you're describing the needs of customers to be able to be able to move their data and take advantage of clouds from the edge to their private data centers to public clouds and then multiple public clouds, depending on the type of workloads and where they want to use it. I think that is what Ragu, we just wrapped up VMworld the beginning of October. Ragu, our CEO, was on stage talking about that vision as well. And sharing the belief that we shouldn't have to force customers to choose. We should be able to give them the freedom to be able to harness all of the capability across these different clouds, which truly is a multi-cloud world, but with the ability to have like what we call enterprise governance and control so that they can make sure they're not spending the farm on the public cloud bill that they get at the end of the month. And they're balancing needs like security for to secure the environment but to give their developers the capability they need. So I think we're very much aligned on vision, and I think it shows why we've been such tight partners for such a long time. I want to switch gears and talk to, it's rare that I actually get to talk to a fellow marketing colleague. So I love the fact that I've got the CMO of HPE, APJ, with us today. 
as we're going through this shift, you talked about the role that HPE marketing plays relative to your partners and helping to create value with customers. And I think, especially as we all shift to this more as a service type of model, SaaS and subscription, that marketing plays a really critical benefit to companies. A lot of times in tech companies, marketing tends to be seen as a cost center. It's not the product, it's not sales, it's something in between. When it's done right, we can be the headlights of the business. We can deliver some of those insights to the business. I'm curious how you as the GM of marketing for APJ, how are you recognized and allowed a seat at the table to help overall show the business impact that you're driving? And what are you as a marketing organization doing particularly to help promote and take to market GreenLake and everything that it brings to your customers and partners? So the first part of the seat at the table, I think the response I have for that is around, again, digital transformation. Now, it's been very disruptive. Organizations are being disruptive. Uh, You have traditional companies in any industry, profitable, great revenue streams, probably growing, but the valuations are going nowhere. You have now the incumbencies shifting to probably a startup style company. It's never made money. It's always shown losses, but its valuation is going through the roof. If my numbers are right, folks like Tesla outstrip the valuation of traditional players like GM by multiples, and they haven't really been profitable yet. So it's a very interesting dynamic that digital transformation has thrust upon most industries. If you were to take the same analogy, that same disruption has also happened in our traditional functions, HR, finance, marketing, enablement, sales operations, supply chain. These functions were typically viewed as support functions. This is a very common word that we hear, business support functions. Function itself is a word which sort of connotes the fact that, look, these are enablers and really help the business in different ways, but they're not probably center stage when it comes to driving the PNL and the customer conversation. However, in the last 10 years, digital transformation has transformed that. And of the functions which I mentioned, probably all of them have been impacted by digital transformation, but marketing has been completely transformed. What I find is that with the advent of digital tools, not just simple things like automation and so on and so forth, but deep insights, predictive insights, maturity of web platforms, maturity of the way we interact with customers through marketing. It's not uncommon for a marketing marketer today to know that an important buyer or an influencer is going to catch the train at 7.45 a.m. That's when he's going to log on to LinkedIn. He's not going to read his email. He never answers our calls, but he at 7.45 a.m., he's going to be on the train into work. And if I can catch him there, that is my best chance of getting the message through. Now, that kind of deep and practical insights on which you can base a communication and a customer contact strategy is very unique to marketing. We did not have this, Kathleen, about 10, 15 years ago. Then just that in that one example, it reveals that we've really got empowered to have customer conversations and customer contact, which even traditional sales as well as traditional marketing tools did not facilitate. That is very powerful. And I find that whenever I articulate my marketing strategy through that lens, I can have conversations in ways which are modern, very relevant. You don't have to wait for that next meeting. You don't have to wait for people to register for your event in which any way you get the same 100 people every time. 
customers today are so smart. They are completing 50, 60, 70% of their decision making in online and ways in which they are not even contacting us or our partners. So you're already 60, 70% down the road before you're getting customer touch, customer contact. And honestly, possibly they have a made up mind by then because but based on what they have seen, what they've read, what they've interacted with through their own research and so on, they're probably already biased and influenced. And then now they're going through the motions in the final 10 or 15 steps before they're going to buy or implement something of significance. I think a large part of our seat of the table is determined by how we bring this story to life, how we demonstrate to our business teams that over a period of time, marketing has been completely transformed. We offer something and a partnership with our business teams and was not possible a few years ago. I was going to ask you, do you think that part of that digital transformation also, because I completely agree with you, what marketing is today is not what it was five years ago. And in fact, marketing as a line of business has become a big target persona for IT spend. I know at VMware, we spend a lot. We have a very extensive IT stack. I'm sure you do too, in terms of automation and capabilities. So a lot of money is focused on that. But I'm wondering about your opinion of if our ability to have a digital platform gives us insights, which we can quantify now that that has also helped elevate your seat at the table because you have numbers and data to back it up. Absolutely. In fact, CMO today is one of the most important personas when it comes to selling technology and selling technology solutions because the way the landscape has evolved and you put it in a very nice way because of this whole transformation, if there's an organization which is looking to data and customer insights, which can they wish they can then convert into strategy, it's the CMO that the conversation starts and finishes with. Because the CMO today has the ability to take that data and analyze it and then convert that into a future strategy which can be deployed for interaction with customers. So today, and again, this goes back to the first point where we started about data and analytics and insights. Today, CMOs are best positioned and they become the headlights of the business in terms of guiding that discussion around analytics, customer insights, which can be then converted into strategic direction. So I think it's not just our own implementation within the organization. CMOs are going to become probably the second or the third largest persona, which when it comes to deploying and buying transformational solutions for enterprises in the future. I love it. So for everybody listening, don't discount marketing. We should be one of those key target personas that everybody is thinking out because we do. We influence a huge amount of the stack and the buying decisions and, and we use it. And yeah, we are right in the throes of digital transformation along with everyone else. Question for you about your mix. And of course, you were talking about how your role vis-a-vis -vis partners is you lean in on brand and then a committed a digital engine, which then supports your partners. I'm curious as in your brand strategies and your digital marketing strategies, how do you use the voices of your customers? And you had mentioned a little bit before that you had a couple of examples, great customer examples about how they were using data. Wondered how you use customers to tell your story. And if there are any recent customer success stories about how HP is helping drive your customers' digital transformation that you could share with us. Certainly, I think today, any customer, any industry that we look at is in the throes of this disruption and transformation. So firstly, you could go by industry. 
and talk about trends and obviously for us banking telecom government these are top three or four industries where a large percentage of our tam and addressable market reside banking today i think if you talk to some of the top banks they don't see the other brick and mortar bank next door as their biggest long term competitor they're probably worried about what is the next messaging platform which will have banking capabilities peer to peer lending and the next set of users who will be digitally comfortable to start actually saying yes to all of those terms and conditions and start to bank on a platform like whatsapp or whatever else that will come in the future people are sitting there thinking how can i get ahead of this as a traditional bank a change my image and b bring services which appeal to this next set of customers right that's the kind of long term thinking they have and that's what the conversation is all about when it comes to transformation experiences and so on and so forth we had a very interesting customer and this is related to the horrific pandemic that we are still in the grips of this is a company called lunit l u n i t bit of a startup but now of course very big in their own right and this is out of korea and they did some very interesting work in the space of medical imaging and medical imaging is a space in which we've had multiple investments and we've really been able to work with different governments in different parts of the world to automate diagnosis a very powerful if you were to think about a remote area or a developing market where people don't have access to healthcare right at their doorstep or right next to them and you imagine a facility which is able to do imaging diagnosis and then give you a recommendation right away based on ai and ml which is more or less accurate that could save millions of lives so lunit was at the forefront their products were very much oriented around chest and lung cancer and so on but as the pandemic started to kick in they changed gears and they started to do medical imaging very much from a perspective of patients who are likely to get pneumonia and this is a very big step forward in saving lives when it comes to the covid pandemic and they were able to take some of their research in the space of oncology imaging etc and steer it towards covid and the requirements that covid presented and at scale they were able to deploy solutions where imaging as well as x-rays etc could be read by machines with a very very accurate diagnosis don't get me wrong doctors radiologists have a massive massive role here i always get a doctor in the room he gets very very upset when i use this as an example and is like oh, you know you guys don't know anything you in the it industry talk about ai ml the way it's implemented it's totally different and i get it radiology is a field which is evergreen and radiologists have a big role to play but i think increasingly through efforts with companies like lunet it's the larger population which is going to benefit the great radiologists that we have across the world can then focus on the complex cases which require human expertise and that will take some time for machines to learn of course that human expertise too we have the ability today to translate into ai and machine learning but with all these examples one mustn't undermine the importance of that human touch and the fact that eventually ai and machine learning is, is as good and as bad as what we as humans will progress and advance through science in our lives so that's one example another great example is from the education industry we have a great partnership with purdue university in the us and i was at one of our events and they had this wonderful demonstration of a solution where using cameras imagine an agricultural situation and then you have these harvesters which have the ability through a camera to differentiate between a pest or a weed 
and the actual crop that you want to cultivate. Through an automatic AI-based application, without human intervention, they are able to identify literally thousands of weeds and clean up your fields without any human intervention. Massive step forward, in particularly in developed economies, where agriculture is a key focus for governments. Now, we can go on and on and on with telcos, other banks, governments, facial recognition, monitoring of crowds, solutions which look at social media trends. They are able to alert governments that, hey, there is an incident which is probably taking shape, but two hours down the road, just given the social trends and what we are listening on social platforms, AI is able to predict that, hey, two hours down the road on XYZ station, we expect a nature of a problem which you should be aware of and should be planning for. Very, very powerful. Well, I think those are both great examples of how digital transformation is complementing human capability, human expertise, and allowing you to extend it in new ways and respond to new challenges. So the pandemic created a different need for Lunit's healthcare solution. And as you're talking about it, I'm thinking that pandemic has probably created even another opportunity. I know one of the challenges that we're experiencing here in the United States is so many people did not go get the preventative care, the screenings and the cancer screenings and testing. A lot put them off over the last 20 months, which is leading to spikes in that. So there's a much greater need for that type of testing, which is another use case that Again, there aren't enough people and talented radiologists to meet all the demand and the spike. A solution from that customer would, as technology both responds to the new use cases coming up that are presenting in the market, but it sounds like they're, I mean, they are complementing human capability. As you introduced the topic of the pandemic to the conversation, the last 20 months has tested so many different companies and leaders around the globe. You're based in APJ. APJ leaders had to deal with it first as it went through there before going through the rest of the world and has been particularly impacted. I'm curious for you how you've potentially changed and grown as a leader, how it you felt it tested your strengths, your capabilities, and how do you feel like you've grown and your leadership skills have changed over this experience? Yeah, very interesting question. And I would like to have two dimensions to it because it's, I think, two sides of the coin double-edged sword, so to say. Firstly, it's a horrific pandemic. Of course, I manage India. Through those three months, when I think it was the second wave, and I want to be candid with you, the sense of helplessness which one feels, and the heart-rending stories coming from our own people, our customers, our partners, and their extended families. It wouldn't be uncommon for me to do a roundtable with our India team at that point, I would be moved to tears with what our employees and the people in general went through. You had friends passing away, extended families with lack of health care. I wouldn't say lack of health care because I don't think any nation was prepared for this kind of an onslaught. No medical system across the world was prepared for this. I don't want to make it sound as if there's a problem with the Indian medical system, but it's just that, hey, this was a surprise to everybody. Nobody was prepared for it. And the stories which came out and then within those stories, I found that personally as a leader, a lot of helplessness. What do you do? You have this whole thing unfolding at such a pace around you. HPE, our response was spectacular. I think I must say Som, our MD in India. I used to speak to him on a weekly basis at that point. 
and things which he did in terms of setting up camps, government initiatives, working with local governments. And I think what was very interesting is our service engineers were suddenly put in a very interesting spot because they had a family to take care of. And at the same time, you had a customer who had a business, an application sort of to run, which meant that there was only that much support that they could provide remotely. And we had literally hundreds, thousands of engineers which were torn between the fact that I have a choice to make today. Either I risk my life, my family's life, go out there, get to that data center, make the necessary repairs, or the application is going to go down. There is going to be a mission critical application in my customer site, which will not work. And I have to confess that our customers were extremely empathetic. Yes, they were concerned about their business, as they should be. But at the same time, the value of life and the value of our service engineers, were they were also dear to our customers, just like they are to us. And it was this individual acts of, I should say, heroism, which came up. You had engineers stuck in the data center for seven days. Now you have a situation where the HPE piece of the solution has been fixed, but the problem is with the networking, which is not within our contract. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're an HPE engineer or a Cisco engineer or whatever it is. As far as the customer is concerned, he needs to get the application up. Our engineers stepped in, went beyond the call of duty. They were there on site. They said, okay, now is not the time to argue over SLAs. Now is not the time to argue over whose responsibility it is. Let's fix the problem. They were in touch with different organizations in the industry. You'll be surprised. I mean, the, the human wave of just coming together and ensuring that we have to get through this together. Through that sense of helplessness, I also found that we were bound together as humanity to combat a challenge. And literally, I would say it was World War III. Combat an enemy, not unlike one which would, which would ravage the world in the form of World War III and just come together and get through it. I have to say that it was a very, very humbling experience. And I used to have regular meetings with my team members. The sense of helplessness continued. Som continued down the track to do whatever he could. Antonio made special investments during that period to ensure that we tied over that crisis. And that was the first dimension that I wanted to bring into this COVID discussion. The second piece of it, I have to say, was a positive one. It sounds crazy because what can be positive about this pandemic? But what I found is that it also put our business leaders in a position where they were no longer able to ignore digital channels of reaching out to customers. To put it very crudely, it was a great way to get a lot of people off the drug called face-to-face -face events. I have to confess that in some of our marketing mix, we probably overpivoted when it comes to investment in face-to-face -face events. And we, we sort of got into this rhythm. Oh, I've done it for the last seven years, so I have to do this again. And then whenever, if I would be in the room and I would be a naysayer, I would say, hey, why do you need to do it again? Just because you've done it for seven years, you know? And the answer was, oh, we've done it for seven years. We have to do this again. Everybody's used to it. I'm going to get the same set of, but people realized through COVID that they don't have a choice. And the folks they could turn to, to enable those digital platforms of engagement was marketing their own expertise and their own skills in terms of digital marketing, the understanding of digital marketing, understanding simple things like, hey, what exactly do they mean when they say impressions or click-through rates or audience or high-value actions? A lot of this was were terms which were understood by marketers started becoming more mainstream. And our sales team started on this transformation 
where they understood digital marketing much better. And now almost two years down the road, I find that even if the pandemic goes away, which it will at one point, digital will remain a big part of our marketing mix, much bigger than what it was when we started through this pandemic. And I think that is a big step forward for us because we've had the opportunity now to get people to understand and experience the power of digital and it's here to stay. I love the fact that you brought that up and I'm so happy to hear that another marketing professional was experiencing the same challenges in terms of the heavy dependence on events. I think while we saw that, the other place where we saw that really heavily, course sales who always will prioritize a face-to-face interaction, I think, because they just really value that. But the area where we saw some of that biggest transformation was actually with our partners. So many of our partners really wanted to leverage their MDF and their development funds on events because you see the return closest to the, the end of the funnel. The best return is immediately when you have a person at the event. And of course, you're right. When we couldn't meet in person, those went away. And it also forced our partners marketing organizations to shift with us to leverage digital. I think you're right. We're not going back because we can reach collectively, reach and connect with so many more people. No one wants to give that up. And there's no way that we can fund it. We all have flat budgets. No one's marketing budgets are growing. And if anyone is, I would love to talk to them and learn their secrets for how they get that up. We've seen the exact same thing. And I love to hear from another marketing colleague that that it wasn't just VMware, that you experienced something similar. I think that marketing is a little bit no different than a lot of our customers because we saw a lot of our customers who were kind of on the fence about executing their cloud strategy, executing their edge strategy. And everyone was forced to jump into the pool and everyone had to learn to swim. So I think marketing was no different for marketing. We're all in it together, bottom line. Kishore, as we wrap up our conversation today, I wanted to just close with a couple of fun questions. One, I'm sure that like other leaders over the last 20 months, you probably haven't had to travel quite as much as you used to kind of pre-pandemic, which is also probably something that none of us want to go back to the way it was. Assuming you had a little bit more time from traveling, I'm curious how you spent that time instead of being on a plane. I think first it was psychological. It's a problem. You know, suddenly you're, you're left with a little bit of extra time and what do you do with it? I did three or four things. And, and just to be very candid with you as well as your viewers, the first thing I did was I stopped drinking alcohol. And that really changed my life. I realized that you were in these situations where you were having a drink or two with customers or partners. But then because of the pandemic, you were thrust more into a family situation. And then you were probably having water with dinner every day. And uh, that was a big change for me. Alongside that, I realized that in the evenings particularly, I mandated that I would spend two hours reading, at least one hour. And it opened up a completely new world. Could be a magazine, a newspaper, a book. And then over the past two years, I've found that reading has come back into my life. I have just enjoyed it so much just sitting down and reading. And I think reading is becoming a bit of a lost art form with these short form and sort of snackable content that we get these days. But I found that the pleasure of reading a good book or reading a great article started to really change and form my perspectives in a manner which it, which I, it had stopped doing for many years. The way I would consume knowledge information had changed so much that that fundamental sort of a way by which we consume information was no longer part of my life. So when I started to read again, 
it opened up a world for me in my mind and the way I sort of formed perspectives, which was very, very refreshing for me. So that was the second piece. I love that. Are there any books that really stood out for you that you would recommend that helped or that you discovered and were just really instrumental in, in helping to shift or shape some of your thinking? What I have been doing these last couple of years is I follow Bill Gates and he has a blog. And Bill Gates usually every few months will make a recommendation of five or six books. I find all of his recommendations fascinating. Some of them are from the world of business. Some of them are from the world of education, climate change. Rarely he does one on fiction and so on. But I find all of the books that he recommends, it's really become my go-to place for finding my next read. Go to his blog, oh, this is what Bill is reading. And then that's what I catch. And that becomes really cool for me to go through something completely new and change my thinking. So all of those books have really impressioned me. I read a book last week. It was a fiction. It won one of the Booker Prizes or was it nominated? I'm not sure. And it was called All Blood is Black at Night. It's a very dark book, but it had a big impact on me. It's from a French, sort of African French writer and spectacular. I think it really got me thinking about the way the mind works and the way the mind ticks in terms of consciousness and so on and so forth. So I would recommend it to all your listeners amongst the other books that Bill Gates usually comes up with. Great place for everybody to find their next read. That is great. I wrote that down. I love to get suggestions. So I'm writing down your other suggestion too. But the Bill Gates book list, I think, is a a go-to, is a great suggestion. Kishore, you've been so generous with your time. Last question for you today. What is the best advice you've ever received that you think would help benefit our listeners? Okay, so I'll keep it to my business and my professional life. And uh, one of my earliest managers told me this piece of advice, and it's really helped me. And it was that you're going to be thrust into business situations where things are going to be ambiguous. Whoever you meet is going to give you a perspective which is going to sound very compelling. You will be swayed by the person who's in front of you. But there is more to it. There's always complexity. And the way to cut through that complexity is to do one simple thing. In your mind or on a piece of paper, make a list of things. What are we as an organization getting out of it? What are we as an organization giving up? Evaluate all situations with that simple sort of metric. You will be able to cut through and arrive upon decisions, which will usually be the right decisions, at least at that point of time. Don't get swayed by arguments. Think for yourself, what are you getting and what are you giving? And that'll help you make some bright decisions. I love that. Well, I think that is a great place to wrap up today. Kishore, I've so appreciated your insights on the industry, this vibrant technology industry we're both a part of what's happening with customers, partners, HPE's transformation in the industry, and in particular, your insights as a marketing leader who's also seeing a transformation in our own industry as a line of business, which is on the forefront of digital transformation as well. And thank you for that book recommendations. And I love the final piece of advice. I have written it down, and I think that's a great way to think about some difficult decisions. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kathleen. It was a pleasure being with you. Really appreciated your time today as well. And thanks for having me. What a great conversation with Kishore. 
I particularly enjoyed discussing key drivers in edge computing, the trends that shaped HPE's edge-to-cloud platform as a service, and how together with our shared partner ecosystem, VMware and HPE GreenLake can help customers quickly and seamlessly pivot to new technologies on their digital transformation journeys. I do hope you enjoyed this insightful conversation too. To learn more about VMware, please visit vmware.com. And to connect with Kishore, you can find him on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining me again on this episode. Remember to subscribe, follow, and review VMware Partnership Perspectives podcast from your streaming platform of choice. For more information on VMware's partner programs, please visit partnerexecutiveedge at vmware.com. I'm Kathleen Tandy. Thank you for listening. Till next time.